In Proverbs uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7, uh, we discover three full chapters devoted to teaching us how to live for God in a world filled with temptation. Uh, let us stand as we read from those chapters. Proverbs 5, 1 and 2. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise sayings. Then you will continue to have good sense. Your lips will keep on speaking words of knowledge. And chapter 5, verses 8 through 13. Stay on a path far away from an evil woman. Don't even go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. You will give your self-respect to someone who is merciless. Strangers will take away all your wealth. Your hard work will make evil ones rich. At the end of your life, you will groan. Your skin and your body will be worn out. You will say, how I hated to take advice, how my heart refused to be corrected. I would not listen to my teachers. I would not listen to those who taught me. In Proverbs 5, 21 through 23, the Lord watches your ways. He studies all your paths. Sinners are trapped by their own evil acts. They are held tight by the ropes of their sins. They will die because they refuse to be corrected. Their sins will capture them because they were very foolish. And finally, chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's command. Don't turn away from your mother's teaching. Always tie them around your heart. Put them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will speak to you. Your father's command is like a lamp. Your mother's teaching is like a light, and the wisdom that instructs and corrects you leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, You may be seated. Thank you so much, Alice and Aaron. I can't wait to see you after 48 years of marriage or 46. I don't think I'll be here. I don't think, but I'd like to be, I think. Uh, I, I received such terrible news this past Thursday morning. Uh, the news was uh, an email that came about a longtime colleague who had to resign his leadership position in a, a really significant global Christian ministry, and you can guess the reason moral failure. I've been thinking, uh, this is going to prove so costly, isn't it? to his marriage, to his extended family, so many of them are friends even of my own, really to the cause of Christ, and the cost will be in ways that almost we can't imagine right now. All of that was happening there personally when the news has just been filled with the kinds of, uh, similar kinds of moral failures, whether they are celebrities or especially, uh, the almost front page, these apparently 37 to 40 million people who have become subscribers to the website Ashley uh, Madison, uh, a website that, that exists, if you haven't followed it, for only one reason, and that is to facilitate extramarital affairs. It has that, that slogan, life is short, have an affair. Now, one of the things that, that has hit me about that is that even with our very permissive world that we live in, what is happening as, as hackers have gotten in and names have been coming out, the devastation that is happening 
even in homes that have no religious bent at all, the devastation that is happening in marriages and in families and to careers because of that moral failure. And this, this all comes about as we come to Proverbs chapter 5 through 7. Now it's a larger section that speaks directly to this matter of, of us dealing with temptation in this world. And it especially focuses on sexual temptation. Now, I'll, I'll just got to tell you something here. I had been planning to speak more generally about what it teaches us to deal with just any kind of temptation that comes. And so I was talking about that on Tuesday with some of the other pastors, and several of them essentially came up to me and said, you can't do that, Greg. Uh, This matter of sexual temptation is so pervasive here in our world, and especially here in Southern California, that we need some straight speaking from the Bible about how we can be faithful to God's word in this area of our lives. You've got to talk about that. Well, I knew they were right. I knew they were right. So let me give you a little bit of an overview to these three chapters. We don't have time to look at it as carefully as I would like to, and we probably need to. I encourage you to read it through on your own. There's probably nowhere in the entire Bible that is more practical about dealing with sexual temptation than these three chapters. When you read them through, because I'm, I'm just going to take it for granted, you're going to read them through. You are going to, it's going to have this feel. It's going to have the feel of a parent uh, talking to the children about these temptations that are out there of <laughs> wanting them to live right. You know why it feels like that? Because it is. <laughs> Good answer. Um, because that's exactly what's taking place here. Uh, Solomon is wanting to talk to his sons about how to deal with temptation. Now, I say that because I don't want you to be put off by the fact that it's from this male perspective, because that's what it is. It's a father speaking to his sons. And another part, when when 21st century people read this, is how the woman is always put in the bad place. Well, it's talking about a setting in which his sons, well, in the Middle Eastern world, uh, almost all of the sexual temptation would take place in these well-demarcated uh, red-like districts. And so he is t- picturing people being drawn in into those kind of communities. So with that in mind, uh, we find Solomon talking to his sons. Now I find, when I read these three chapters, that, that Solomon wanted to do what I wanted to do. He wanted to talk to his sons about temptation in general. And sometimes you find him pushing in that direction. He talks about the temptation to be lazy. Uh, He'll talk about the temptation to enter into bad financial kind of relationships or to hang out with the wrong kind of people. The same things we talk about, parents and our families to our kids. But he keeps coming back over and over again to this matter of helping his sons deal with sexual temptation. So I've asked myself why. And one reason is surely that uh, Solomon must have wrestled with this himself. You know, in the kind of world he was in, kings like he was develop all these relationships with other nations by developing a harem. It must have been almost impossible to deal with all of that situation. And and somehow he, he could not have found it satisfying or he wouldn't have said what he said to his sons about faithfulness to the wife to which you've committed yourself. And the other thing I thought of, now you're with me here, aren't you? Um, that Solomon's life was one in which he must have personally experienced the devastation of moral failure in his own home. Because his father was King David, and you know that that King David had stolen another man, a man named Uriah's wife, 
the child who was born immediately had died, but Solomon was, was the son of that marriage. Can't you imagine becoming the king? I, I just picture um, the people saying, why, why should we follow this political leader? Born in a family like that where his father stole another, uh, an, another uh, man's wife. Why should we follow Solomon? I am just sure that Solomon of all people knew the devastation of moral failure. And so what we find in these chapters is that he talks about this in very, very helpful ways. Now, there's no way we can cover it all, but so I'll tell you what I've done. When I read it through, I began to see that Solomon kept coming back to the same themes over and over again. So I took them all and I, I put them together and see that really he gave to us three tactics. And I find them as relevant now as they were for his sons. And it's also good for a sermon because three points is always good, right? So... So I, I tell you, I think in our world, where well, this kind of temptation is at least as pervasive as it was in Solomon's day, that what God's word gives to us is something that if we will listen to it and receive it, will make a difference in our lives. That's what I'm praying for. So what does he say? When temptation comes, tactic number one, remember that sexual faithfulness always begins with your mind. Sexual faithfulness always begins with your mind. It's what you put into your mind. The Bible lets us know repeatedly that comes out in our actions. So in chapter 5, verse 1, this is how he starts the whole thing. Pay attention, he said to his sons. And, and the word was that give your mind the full attention to this. Listen to very carefully. Pay attention to wisdom. Uh, to God's truth. And then he brings that back again in a different way in chapter 7, verse 1. Store up, sons. And, and that's the word of using our minds and, and, and filling up our memory banks. Store up in your inner being my commands within you. In fact, when you read through these three chapters, one of the things that's going to strike you is how many times Solomon tells his sons, put God's word into your life. Listen to wisdom. Pay attention to what your godly mentors teach you. Listen, and especially to me as your father and to your mother, <laughs> who are seeking to follow God too. Listen to the teaching that we have for you. Uh, I, it's, it, you find it in chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 7, chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, and again, verse 24. But I want to read you again what Aaron read for us earlier, chapter 6, beginning with verse 20. Look at this. If you have your Bible, turn to that. Mark it. My son, father to son, keep your father's command and listen to your mom too, he says. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. All these teachings. Get it there in case you've forgotten it. Um, when you walk, they will guide you. When you're asleep and your mind is moving you away from what is good, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life, the way to really living. Now, I've got to ask you, what is he talking about when he talks about listen to your father's command, listen to your mother's teaching, bind these things uh, around your neck, uh, fasten them to yourself. They're, they'll guide you. What is he talking about here? This is not a hard question, and we're in church. So I know what you're thinking is the right answer. It is the right. He's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about God's truth as found in the scriptures. That's what he's talking about here. 
Uh, it's the same thing that Moses had talked about in, in Deuteronomy chapter nine, 6, verses 1 through 9. Right after the Ten Commandments were given, th- then he said, okay, you've got to pass these ways of living on to the future generations. And he used the very same language that Solomon picks up here and passes on to his sons. Passing on God's ways into a world where most people aren't living for God. And, and, and the Bible insists that when we fill our minds with these kinds of things, from God's word, it will help direct our lives and keep us from going wrong directions. Uh, so the Psalms picks it up, especially Psalm 119. So verse 11 tells us, I have stored up your word in my heart, in my inner being, so that, and why? I might not sin against you. See there, if you're not going to turn away from God, it begins with your mind. And then two verses earlier, verse 9 of Psalm 119, it's a passage that my mom made me memorize with this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How is that possible in a world like ours where we're just inundated with sexual things? And the answer is, and the old version said by taking heed thereto according to God's word. And it really is talking about by by listening to God's word, learning it so that you might live according to it. So I hope you see just a consistent message of the Bible that when temptation comes, the place where it begins for us to have our lives actually find victory over that temptation is with the mind. So what do I want you to do with your mind? First, with your mind. I want you to be ruthless about what you put into it. This mind is a precious thing. Uh, you, all, you all know that old uh, saying, garbage in, garbage out. Well, the Bible is saying, purity in, purity out. God's truth in, it's going to be lived out in your lives. And, and I was thinking of Psalm 12, 6, I think it's verse 6, that the words of the Lord are pure words. They're like silver refined in a fire, purified seven times. So I, if you and I are going to be sexually faithful in a sex-oriented culture, we have to find something that replaces the inundation of this is the way you're supposed to live that we find in the media, we find in all the advertising. We have to find a different way to fill our minds, a different way of thinking. And the Bible keeps saying you've got to permeate your mind with God's truth. Um, it's got to saturate it. It must be a regular part of your life. Otherwise, you won't know how to live. So, so my question to you is this. What are you filling your mind with? I, th- I think one of the biggest questions is, what kind of entertainment are you entertained by? I think you'll just find that so much of it is counter to the values of, of Scripture. And then in contrast to that, how much are you, time are you spending actually listening to the Word of God and reading it. How carefully do you listen even when we preach from it? See, I'm trying to get you to listen this morning. Um, How much time do you spend personally just opening up the Bible and allowing it to come into your mind? Uh, Parents, in a situation like Solomon, how much time do you actually spend with your children passing on the truth of God to them? Uh, don't be fooled into thinking that you're not going to be shaped by what you put into your mind. So be ruthless about what you put into your mind. What else do you do with your mind? Not only 
read it, but learn to treasure it, love it, or, or meditate upon it. Because when I read the language that Solomon uses, he doesn't just say, well, listen to it and read it, but he uses this language like, bind it on your heart. Incline your ears to it, treasure it, write it on the tablets of your inner being. And, and what's underneath this, I think, is Solomon is wanting to say to his sons, God is good. God is good. And, and, and he doesn't want to ruin your life. He's your maker, and especially for us in the New Testament days, he loves us so much he said, Jesus, God is good. He, he gave his life so that you and I can be rescued, so that his word is good. And, and when you follow his way, it's not going to ruin your life with so many people in our world. Do you live that way? Sexual faithfulness within a marriage covenant? What kind of a boring life is that? And God comes and says, it's real life. So, so that when things come out, like this Ashley Madison website, which is just ruining so many lives, the Bible screams out this, there's a better way to live. And it's a thousand times, it's a million times better than the other message that our culture is sending us again and again and again. But parents, if, if we're going to talk to our children about this, we've got to believe it ourselves. And, and we've got, our children have to see that, that it's a wonderful thing to be able to have uh, people who come up and say, ah, oh, we've had some brokenness in, in our relationship and it's come back together with our recommitment to God and his word. Or to have people like Bill and Jeannie come up and say, 46 years, they seem to have a lot of joy in their life. Didn't it seem like that? It's a good thing and our world needs to see it and our families need to see it. So the first thing is to be ruthless about what you put into your mind, then treasure it and meditate on it, and then, uh, when you know what God's Word says, set your mind on doing things that honor God. So, you know you can learn what's here and not live according to it. So that when you come into the New Testament, you have especially places like Romans 5, verse 8, in which we are told, set your mind long for, not uh, those things that your own natural desire craves, but not what the world is telling you, uh, but set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And, and the context of that, it's uh, the Apostle Paul writing about it. In chapter 7, there's a section there that if you've never read it, you'll be able to relate to it. He says, oh, woe is me. Those very things I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, those are the very things I do. Is there any hope for me? I have you ever felt that? So that's the Apostle Paul is saying that. And then comes the good news. Ah, thanks be to God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of those times of failure, we have the opportunity to have them washed clean, be made right with God. This is hallelujah. This is, this is, this is what the gospel, the good news is. But he doesn't just forgive our pasts and leave us in that trap. He wants us to be remade. And what he says is, we become people of the Spirit. Power of God's Spirit dwelling within. But what we, our responsibility is to use this mind God has given us and to set our minds on those things that will honor and will please God. So, you, you live in a culture where you are bombarded by the opposite of what God's Word teaches. Just mark it down. Uh, so the culture that, that you're going to live in bombards you and me with words, images, movies, websites, 
the sex outside marriage. That's what's really fun and, 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 and freeing and, and, and great. And, ah, this Bible's way of living. Who wants to do that? And God says, that's the way to live. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that God is good? And that living his way is, is a better way to live? So I wrote this down for you. I, read this, I, I, wrote this. I don't think there's going to be any change unless you believe passionately that the way of life God calls for you to live is good. It's what you long for. Then what you set your mind on. It's only then that you'll do what Jesus said, deny self, because you're going to be tugged in another way and actually follow Jesus. Okay. Here we are in church, and so many times in church, you know, we have all this stuff rumbling inside, but we put on a whole different front to one another, don't we? So I just want to tell you that regardless of what your external behavior is proclaiming that people see in you in public, the true test of your moral character is your thought life. Should I say that again? Regardless of what we put, show people on the outside, the real measure of your moral character is your thought life. And it will affect the way that you live when temptation comes. Craig Grishel has said, you can't build a foundation of sin now for a life of purity later. The only way to make that later different is to begin now filling your mind with the things of God. So it made me think of athlete Tim Tebow. Last five to ten years, he has become so well known and he is committed to living sexually faithful life. And he, he's written a book called A Quarterback's Journey. I recommend it to you. And I'll just tell you one, one of the things he said. He said, here's how I use my mind. If I've already thought through a situation, Tim Tebow said, and I have a response prepared ahead of time in the event temptation rears its ugly head, it's much easier to resist. So that's the first tactic. Know that it begins with your mind. What are you putting in your mind? Tactic two, use that mind when the temptation comes to consider the exorbitant cost of moral failure. Look at how Solomon put it, chapter 5, verse 9. You're going to lose your honor and dignity, he says. <laughs> and you're going to get ensnared by it, he says in verse 22, and he says many, many other things. In fact, when you read through these three chapters, I'll just tell you, 27 verses in these three chapters are specifically devoted to telling you that, that using your mind to count the cost What's going to happen if you turn away from God is one of the main things that helps you to resist temptation. I wanted to read them all through for you. I knew you wouldn't stay that long. 27 verses. I put them up here because some of you take pictures of the slides. I've watched you. This is a good time to do it. Then you can go back and read these. The thing is, when there are that many verses... Uh, in God's word, telling you, hey, this is one of the ways to resist temptation. is to stop in the midst of the temptation and consider the cost of that temptation that I think there's something very, very important here. Uh, Solomon will, will describe, he said, you've got to know the moment of giving in to the temptation often feels sweet, but the long-run effect of this thing is, and he says, bitter as wormwood. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound any good to me at all. And, and just read through what he says. Sexual sin, what it's going to do to you. And I had so many people after the first service say, what 
what he said there is true. And I'm a testimony to this. It will rob you of your time. It will sap you of your energies. It will destroy your credibility to those around you. It will wreck your family and marriage. And ultimately, he says, it's going to bring you to the brink of ruin. Now, I am convinced that the enemy, the evil one, does not want us in the midst of temptation to stop and use these minds God has given us to reflect on the cost of failure. I'm sure he doesn't want us to do that. Because you know what happens when temptation comes? It's almost like our mind gets into a fog. And we almost forget all those things that we put in a a fog. And then it just feels like making that decision isn't going to be all that bad. But at that time is the very time we need to stop and think very, very carefully. The Holy Spirit wants you to stop and consider the cost. I, I found, and I'll, I'll talk with many of you who are longtime churchgoers here, because we have a lot of folks who are new to church, but I want you to, to tell you that this kind of sexual sin almost always starts with one small first step. Uh, I thought of a a man who came in to see me. He'd grown up in a fundamentalist home, so he had a lot of rules and things he shouldn't watch, and he'd usually done that. But he started watching a television show after he'd left home, was living as a single guy. And he he said it had values that troubled me at first when when it was portraying that sex outside of your marriage bond is exciting and normal and really it's good and everything else is bad. So he began watching it. He loved the characters. He thought it was well written and well produced. Then then he went back to work and then he developed a relationship with one of the women at work and she treated him nicely, thought he was funny, she was already married. Um, And he said he couldn't believe it. It it wasn't all that long until I became one of those people who says, I'd never thought this could happen to me. Read through chapter 7 and and Solomon pictures a scene that he tells his sons like similar to that. He says, I want you to know about a man who goes one day where he shouldn't go. Uh, The first temptation is about something he's very susceptible to, sexual temptation. And he wants you to imagine his adrenaline is going, the hormones are racing through his systems, he's not thinking straight because all of his desires are taking over, and then in one cataclysmic moment he gives in, he crosses the line, his life is changed forever and it's not for good. With uh, with, uh, unminced words, (laughs) chapter 7 verses 22 and 23 says he is, uh, it's like he's gone to the slaughter. My father uh, used to be uh, in the meatpacking business, and one time he took me with him to a slaughterhouse. It was not a pretty picture. I don't know how anybody can keep anything in your stomach when you've been to one. That's what it's like, he says. That's what's going to happen to you. He, he, he uses words like, you're going to get trapped. It's kind of like seeing an animal in a snare, just knowing that there's no good end to this thing because I've gotten caught here. He said, in fact, he uses that word, you're going to be ensnared. It's kind of like seeing an insect in a spider's web trying to get out. That's what he says happens to us. Um, A very close colleague, I'd even say a friend of mine, um, who had been um, a lead partner in his law firm, doing very, very well. And then the call of God came and he left his law firm and and that kind of success and then he went into ministry and eventually became a significant leader in in our denomination. And then he engaged for many of these same things in moral failure. 
We started um, a restoration, a discipline with restoration process that we have because there's hope, right? When we feel there's hope, I hope you say hallelujah. God doesn't give up on us, nor, does it, nor do we as a church. And that's what happened there. We, we, and and he, he went through it. And so when we had the restoration time, because I was a port, part of the board of ministerial standing, dealing with this kind of failure, uh, I asked him he, uh, this. I said, just to help us all. Um, do you, can you think of any things you might have done early on that would have helped you prevent this from happening? And I remember him pausing for a moment, and this is what he said. I think I've written it for you. He said, if only I had really known, really thought through what it would cost me and my family and my Lord, I honestly think I would never have done it. I don't know that that's true, but I'm telling you, this is the warning Solomon gave to his son over and over and over again. Stop when the temptation comes for a few moments. Focus your mind and think through the cost of sexual unfaithfulness and it will help to guide you. So first, it begins with your mind, what you put in, what you set it on. Secondly, uh, it's using then that mind to consider the cost uh, of turning away from God. And then third, finally, then stay away from those places and situations where where you are tempted and where you always fail. At all costs, stay away. Chapter 5, verse 8, keep a path far from her, Solomon says to us. Don't go near the door of the house. That brings me back to that story in, in, um, in Proverbs 7. It runs from chapter, uh, verse 6 to verse 21. The story is really of a young man, lacking any sense, who intentionally goes into a place where he knew he would be tempted. Uh, bottom line, this man had already made his decision before he went to that red light district. So when the women came up to him, I'm just sure he'd already been thinking about it. And, and, and he was fresh meat. That, that's the way that Solomon puts it here. And he knew where he was going, so he'd already made his decision in his heart. He got right up there close to it thinking, well, I'm not really going to do anything. But he did. And it was devastating. So that's why Solomon writes, keep your path far away from that place of temptation. Don't go near the door. And the language is of a radical amputation. If you know that in that place or in that situation you have always failed, cut it off. Really very vivid language, don't you think? The Apostle Paul spoke at least as graphically about it as he did. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, when it comes to sexual temptation, flee. Don't think about it. Don't even try to, just run, run hard and run fast. There's no other temptation that that, that is talked about that way in the Bible other than sexual temptation. Run, get out of there. So so this counsel is this, and I think every good counselor and pastor when people come and and you felt trapped by ongoing failure in your life, one of of the first things that we have to do is, let's stop for a moment. Let's think about where is it that you begin to feel tempted? Where is it that you always find that you begin to fail? And write those things down and then holding one another accountable not to go back to those places. So this is one of the tactics Solomon gives to his sons. Now, uh, I posted this piece of advice on social media this week and I received back from especially many of our younger adults saying that they saw the wisdom of this but asking this question... uh, 
how do we do that in our day? Because in Solomon's day, there seemed to be certain places out in the streets where that temptation would be, but now out in the streets have made it through our doors and into our homes and right into our hands with our pads and with our telephones. I mean, we can be inundated by sexual stimulus everywhere that we go. How do we flee from it? How do we run from that? Uh, it's, I, I'll just tell you, I do think that obedience to God's word in this area of our lives here in the 21st century is harder than it was in Solomon's day and maybe harder than it's ever been. I do think there are ways that we can identify those places where we are susceptible and where we fail and finding ways to have accountability. There are many ways that that can be done, but I'm not going to pretend that it's easy to do this, but I'm convinced of this, that God has placed you and me in this world at this time to be his representatives and, and to let the world know that with all of these marriages being devastated by, by people's going on to the different websites and involved in so many ways that there's a different and a better way to live. God wants us to be able to tell people that even though we've also felt that tug and often failure, we have also experienced forgiveness through Christ and are beginning to experience a new way of life. I believe, and I hope you believe with me, that whatever we face in the world, God has put us in that the power of God and, and the power of God's spirit dwelling within us is, is greater than any power in this world and any temptation we face. We, ha we have to hold on to that. That there is hope that whatever has been in your past, whatever traps you feel like you're in now, there is hopes of liberation and freedom because of the forgiveness and grace of God and because of the power of God's spirit. I don't want you to go from here today without knowing that there is hope for you. Oh, our time goes by so quickly. So at least let me tell you that I, I know we need to provide some additional help. We'll keep coming back to these things, but okay, I'll give you some. One, a book I want to recommend to you. It's not a very theological book. I think it's sound theology. If you want a theological book, read John Owen. But this is a simple book. It's by Craig Grishel, the one I quoted. And the book is entitled Weird. Weird. I love the subtitle because normal isn't working. Because what's normal for us is to walk away from God. Because that's where we're tugged. Our own desires tug us and the world is pushing us in that direction. If that's normal, it's not working. And we've got to show the world that God's way does work. He, uh, uh, Craig Greshel uh, tries to paint for us uh, a distinctive way of life that God calls us to and, and to see how beautiful it is. Uh, two chapters talk about sexual temptation. One of them talks about us passing this on to future generation. I recommend it to you. Number two, you need a people. You can't do this on your own. Both when I deal with anger last week and now this week with sexual temptation, we're not meant to do this on our own, and God gives us a community of people. And you say, but where can I find a community of people who understand and be gracious when I walk in? But also won't, I hope you will say this, let me just stay where I am. I, I need to be different. Well, we have a wonderful group that is formed. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery has a whole lot of people who are beginning to find a new way of life after feeling trapped. We're all still on this journey, right? I'm not saying people who are now perfect are going to come and tell you how to do it, but we'll walk together toward what God has created us to be. Meet on Wednesday nights down in the choir room from 6 to 9. 
Come down. These are just, it's just a wonderful group of people. I recommend it to you. There's information in the worship folder about it. Then some training. As I said, this, this has to happen not just from the pulpit once and the, where you have to race through it, but we need to be talking about this in our church, passing it on to our children, teaching it in our Sunday school classes. I don't know if we have provided training uh, for those of you who are teaching your children the kind of training that, 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 that we need. So we're going to commit ourselves to that. And starting October 4th of this fall, we're going to be having a, a series of classes or lessons that, are, that we're calling How to Talk to Your Kids About Tough Things. And one of them will surely be this matter of sexual temptation that we'll have several weeks talking about. So October 4th, mark it down. Parents, I want as many of you as possible to be a part of that. And then we're going to have, finally, a church-wide emphasis. After this Proverbs series is over, we're going to move to a different uh, series that I'm, I'm calling Synced. Um, and it has to do with living our lives not in sync with our own desires and with the world, but with the Spirit of God. Uh, because you know, the book of Proverbs kind of lays out for us this beautiful way of life with freedom from envy, freedom from the, from the effects of anger, you know, victory over temptation. And they knew it was beautiful too. But in the Old Testament, nobody could live that way. So we've always seen that. But then in the New Testament, that's why Jesus comes. Uh, to give his life, to provide forgiveness of the past, and then to give his Holy Spirit and the church so that we can live in the presence of the Spirit but in the context of his people. And God promises that there will be a time of victory. So, so and that's what we're going to be thinking about. That uh, the fruit of the Spirit Learning to walk in sync with the Spirit is what we're going to be doing all this fall. We're going to be having uh, devo uh, daily devotionals that will be on, uh, on the website. We'll have small group materials that are available. If you're in a small group, I hope you'll look at them. And for mid-sized groups, uh, we're going to have materials to deal with that as well. We want to do this as a whole church. Our children and young people are going to be going through this as well. And so go to your teacher in your mid-sized group and say, we've got to do this because we've got to be a place where the Spirit of God actually reigns in our hearts and our lives. And I pray we will see God doing great things in us. I hope you'll pray with me to that end. Now I'm going to close with this. Last, last month, a really close friend, many of you know him, uh, Dr. Jamie Rankin, uh, took me and, and really my entire family, and Chris and the entire family, to Ireland. He'd, you know, he'd sold a textbook and with proceeds took us to Ireland. May he sell many textbooks. This is an amazing thing for a friend to do. And, but while we were there in Ireland, uh, we participated in this time with these birds of prey and their trainer named Patrick. So Patrick brought uh, two owls, a kestrel, a peregrine falcon, a golden eagle named James, and a uh, Harris hawk named Marta. Now, while we were there, they were all sort of coexisting in peace. And then uh, uh, Patrick brought them out one by one, and we were able to hold them on our arms and, and pet them, and it all was going very, very well. They seemed to get along well. And then at, at, at the end, he said, um, would any of you like me to take Marta out so she can fly up really into the trees and then just swoop down from the trees right onto your arm. 
And everybody said, uh, yes. But then he said, okay, for us to do that, we've got to move out of here and back on the other side of that bank of trees. We have to move out of sight of the other birds. Why, we asked. He said, well, you know, Marta is a sweet girl. Kristen, he kept saying, she's a sweet girl, but she's an opportunist. <laughs> and she is a hawk. And if she is allowed to be away from me and up there freely in the trees and at the same time is able to see those other birds, she'll take them all out. Because her natural bent is to go after them. If I'm on watch, she's okay. If she's out of sight of temptation, she's okay. But if not, she'll give in to her natural desires and natural tugs. She'll take them all out, including James the Big Eagle. So I just got to tell you, though you and I are beautifully made in the image of God, there is a whole lot about us that's like Marta the hawk. Isn't that true? That when we are keenly aware of God's presence, when we're outside of those places of temptation, there's the opportunity for victory. But so often... We don't take time to acknowledge the presence of God. We don't fill our minds and lives with the things of God. And we get ourselves into those places where we've always fallen before and we fall again. I remind you again of the promise. In Christ, it will not remain that way. The promise is someday that image of God so destroyed by sin in Genesis chapter 3 will be restored in you and you'll be complete in Christ. Do you long for it? Don't you long for it? Until God is done, he promises it will happen. Until he's done, temptation will be a part of your world. But it starts in your mind. The victory starts in your mind. Be careful of what you put into it and what you set that mind on. Also, take time to stop when the temptation comes. You know when it comes. To focus and think about what is the cost of this moment of pleasure. And then identify those places where every time you go there you get into trouble. And run. And my prayer is that you will find freedom. And a new life. And it will be to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we know that it's only in Christ and through the power of your Spirit that we have hope. If there are some who've come who've never come to know you through faith in Jesus, may this be the day that they trust, turn their sins over to you and find cleansing, turn their lives over to Jesus, find a new way of living. Father, for, for so many of us who've been Christians for so long but still feel the strong tug and often times of failure because of temptation, Father, restore within us a hope that, that things can be different. And Father, use your word even today to further your work in us so that, Father, people may see our lives and see the beauty of what it means to know you and to follow you. Father, do whatever you will in our lives that our lives may bring glory to your name. Because of Jesus we pray. Amen.